This episode discusses subjects that may be inappropriate for little children. Listener discretion is advised. I'm a Muslim and that's okay presents Gift to the Gab because everybody's got something to say. Hi everyone, may peace be on you all and welcome to another episode of I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And I have this segment of the Gift of the Gab with a very, very special guest of mine, Nahela Morales. And most of y'all might not know, but she is very, very well known amongst Muslim circles. Um, she is not just a convert to Islam, but she is a humanitarian, a public speaker. And I mean, I went through her bio on her website. And this is like, for anybody who can't see, this is like a mini dissertation right here. It is like, I'm like, I feel very, very inadequate after reading all of this, but may may God bless her. She does a whole lot of work. How are you, Nahela? I'm so happy to have you with me. Oh, no, thank you so much. The honor is mine to be here. Uh, I'm very excited for this conversation. And that's the thing. I have Nahela with me here um, as sort of an extension of the previous episode I did of mine on fostering um because apart from all of this you know being part of humanitarian efforts and you know she's the co-founder of embrace which is a convert organization that helps other converts in their struggles you know it's not easy being a convert to islam you know everything is new you need extra support and she you know she and her organization help with that and not just in the u.s that's the thing Nahela is continent hopping all throughout. I don't know how she does it. And that's why I'm grateful that she's here because I know how busy her schedule is. She is a lot of times in South America and other parts of the world, really helping the Muslim community everywhere. So again, I'm so grateful that you are here. But not why I have you here, although I should bring you back here for that as well. But... What most people don't know about Nahela is that she is a child who was in the foster care system. That's why I have her here. And um, if I could start anywhere within this conversation, please do tell us a little bit about, you know, where you started out with and how did you come to the U.S. and sort of ended up in the foster care system? Yeah, sure. Bismillah, in the name of Allah. Um, well, I am gracefully 47 years old. So I came to this country at the tender age of four years old. Uh, and um, I was raised by my grandparents, in particular my grandmother and uh, my mother's youngest sister um, in Mexico, Cuernavaca, Morelos, which is about an hour and a half away from Mexico City. I was born in Mexico City. So uh, upon my um, migrating to this country, I didn't know my mother. I knew of my mother and what she looked like through pictures, but I didn't have a relationship with her per se, other than hello on the phone, you know, once, once a week or once a month, whatever the case was. Oh, wow. Um, so we didn't have that uh, child mother connection. 
So coming uh, to the U.S., for me, it was very heartbreaking to leave all I knew, which was my grandmother and my aunt and my grandfather. Right. So I think the the disconnect was really early on and no one really picked it up because they were just trying to reunify mother and daughter uh, because everybody was under the uh, assumption that, you know, once she settled in this country, she, I, she would go and get me. So oh, it was a temporary um, stay, even though I was with my grandmother from three months old till the day I departed. And I was shy away from my fifth birthday. Um, so that's how I ended up in the U.S. Um, and uh, again, it was very detrimental uh, to um, not understand exactly what was happening when that transition was happening. Right. Uh, all I knew was that I was going to go see my mom, but I also thought my grandmother was coming and she was not. Uh, and so waking up in a complete different place, different country, different room, um, you know, different amenities, different everything was right. was very traumatic uh, very early on. Uh, and so that's how I ended up here. And that's how I met my mother. Um, and again, there was a huge disconnect emotionally, psychologically, and even physically, because it was hard for me to just embrace someone I didn't know. Right, right. So you're here, you're a very young, young child, again, in a circumstance that would like even a full grown person would not be able to take in or comprehend or adjust well to at all. And I can only imagine the kind of problems it brought for you, again, as you've mentioned, psychologically, emotionally. And if you could please, then how, what happened from there? How did you end up in the foster care system? And what was it like? So we fast forward um, in the midst before landing the foster care system, mm -hmm. I was uh, molested. I was sexually abused. Wow. Um, and so uh, it, 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 it spiraled into even more uh, pain and more um, disconnect altogether from my mother because unfortunately it was, um, you know, her, her mate who did all of this. Wow. Um, and it was very difficult because I was threatened by him and I was very scared to say anything. And also my mother and I didn't have a good relationship communication. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll talk about communication later, later on and how important that is. Um, but, uh, you know, by the age of eight, I was already sexually abused. Um, I was already becoming rebellious. I was already, um, trying to, you know, go back to Mexico. I didn't want to be here. Uh, my grandmother came because I was becoming somewhat uh, rebellious, as my mother called it. And so she seeked out for her help. So she came for about a year, but then she left again. So that abandonment, uh, you know, uh, feeling happened all over again. And that wound kind of was healing when she came and, and things were getting back to what I knew normal was, which was a loving, caring home, uh, a safe home. My mother was very abusive verbally, mentally, and physically. 
more so physically. And so um, there was beatings every day after my grandmother left. And, um, you know, it's been years of therapy. I am 47 and it has taken years, um, decades of therapy for me to be able to sit here today and talk to you about all this. Um, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I'm able to hopefully bring some hope and light to those that are listening and perhaps have gone through something similar or are experiencing something. Um, it is very important to um, not suppress everything that's happening on the contrary to seek help. So, um, so yeah, by the age of, so that was eight, my grandmother left again. And by the age of 12, I pretty much have had it at that point because it was a very abusive home. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I remember the last beating I got was with an iron court. And my oh back was like bleeding and I had marks all over my legs. And so mm -hmm. I was in seventh grade and I remember my PE teacher asked us to go change for PE. Mm -hmm. And I was refusing because I knew I had marks all over my legs and I didn't want to wear mm -hmm. shorts. And basically, you know, he said, I'll take you to the office if you don't change. There's no excuse for not changing. And I did have an excuse, but I, I was so afraid to tell him. I didn't know what it would consist of or the repercussions that it would bring, right? Um, still very young. Um, and so I did go change and immediately he saw all these bruises and, and slashes and he says, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And again, by that time, I, I really didn't want to live at home. Right. So I basically, uh, once they took me into the office, I, I told them I was afraid and I was scared and I want to go home. So they call social services in, they call the police and, you know, the whole report from that day, I never went home back again until later when the judge tried to reunify us because that's, um, that's the end goal to, right. to, to these type of situations. Uh, I grew up in California, so this is all happening in Southern California. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I was taken into a place called McLaren hall, which is no longer in existence. I looked it up the other day for some odd reason, mm -hmm. but it's a huge Institute that held uh, children from one day old till 17. Mm -hmm. So, and we're talking about very, very, very dysfunctional families to gang related, uh, individuals, drugs, you name it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I didn't come from any of that. So it was very frightening to enter a space where, you know, for the first time I saw someone all tattooed up or mm. you know, a young kid, you know, having a withdrawal from drugs and all right. of that was also traumatic. Right. I didn't last there, but about a year. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I lasted there about a month. So it was a transition right, kind right. Of institute to where you're going to be placed. If um, I could pause you right yeah. there. Um, so at this point, you've been taken from the custody of your mother for obvious reasons. Um, there is no doubt about that. What did you have with you when you went to your transitional home and then onwards? I think it's important for people to know and understand that this is what kind of situation this is, especially for a child. You were only 12, no more than a child that they're going through this? So I did have my backpack mm. and in my backpack, I always had a, um, a little stamp of the Virgin of Guadalupe that was given mm. to me by my grandmother. 
So there was always some type of religion. Right. And I was always looking for God one way or another. And that was the connection between my grandmother and I and religion at the time. And so I held that with, uh, with my life, right? That little stamp. Um, and that's the only worth a thing talking about in that backpack that I held on to. Uh, other than, you know, other than that, so you basically had nothing, with nothing, you. nothing. I went with zero, nothing. There was nothing that I brought with me from that day. I was taken away and I did not come back home. Um, and so, yeah, it was, um, it was, everything was given from, you know, undergarments to clothes to everything at this institution. So I started out of zero. There was no other memories other than I knew my grandmother's PO box in Mexico and we mm -hmm. kept in touch no matter where I went. Right. Um, and this little, um, this little frame that I had that was given to me by her. Um, yeah. So that's all I had when I went into the, into the system. So when you went into the system, you were for a month in that center and why did why were you transferred elsewhere so and that's you transferred uh, to yeah so i i know it's no longer open and it was right. closed for various reasons i guess they didn't pass inspection or whatever what mm. have you and there was a lot of things happening in there which gracefully i was not a victim of but um it, it was just like a holding place to right. find a foster home or a group home Right. So essentially, I ended up in a group home about two hours away from my home mm -hmm. uh, in the Simi Valley um, area, um, which was like uh, Canoga Park, that area that way um, in California. And uh, it was it, it was under an organization called the Help Group. Um, which they essentially started with children with special needs and went on to um, group homes. Uh, mm -hmm. They had three boys group homes and three girls group homes. Mm -hmm. uh, when I arrived, I ended up in the newest. So it had just been, uh, they just had had the grand opening. So it was a beautiful house in the Simi Valley. Um, there was two girls in each room. And again, the, the, the circumstances of every girl were very different. Um, right. You know, the girl that was my roommate, she tried to commit suicide oh, wow. and she was paralyzed from her left side. Oh, wow. um, and she was dealing with that. And mm -hmm. the reason was because she was sexually abused by her father. Oh. Um, so you start like automatically you, you wake up from one day to another and you're mm -hmm. in this situation where it's safe in the sense of there's no more physical abuse, verbal abuse or any of that. But now you have to live uh, or listen and, 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 and deal with other people's traumas because whether you like it or not, if you're sharing a home, if you're sharing right. a dining table, if you're sharing, you know, a living space, you basically are living with individuals and their traumas. Um, right. She used to get seizures because oh, she wow. shot herself in the head, but obviously oh, wow. she didn't die. And so she was paralyzed from one side. So to see someone for the first time having a seizure was very traumatic for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was girls from all walks of life. And so right. 
I didn't come from any of that. So it was all new to me. Um, you know, my home was just abusive. Uh, other than that, we didn't have drugs or, you know, alcohol or prostitution or, right. you know, gangs. I, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Um, right. And there was predominantly uh, Caucasian girls. There was a couple um, African-American and then um, Latinas were very few in this mm -hmm. environment. So I kind of was a sore thumb, you know, and do you speak Spanish and do you do this? So I was like always asked, um, uh, you know, and the minute I said I wasn't born in this country that also like they were very mm. curious to know like, oh, where did you come from? Um, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, that was that was somewhat of the experience in the group home. Right. And I think I'm so glad that you put that out there that even though like you were with other girls that had gone through traumatic experiences, but they were so different. And the fact that you didn't go through what they went through and you had to hear about it from them, obviously, it, that's the thing. I mean, that's what happens when you're together, where they none of you had any place else to go but to share this whatever grief was within them and within you is another kind of like a trauma that you had to endure as well. And I'm sure it, there was trauma that they were enduring at the same time is not never an easy situation. Um, how long did you stay in the group home? So I was in that group home, um, little over a year, mm -hmm. um, about a year, I would say a year and a few months. Um, uh, throughout that time there, you know, I saw things and and mimic or mock things that I had never seen before. And I learned things to deal with emotions that were unhealthy. For example, mm. I tried to commit suicide because I saw someone try to commit suicide oh, wow. because there was no way out. So I was exposed to things I had never been exposed to. And I was trying to find answers as to why couldn't, why, why does nobody visit me, especially when there was visitations right. or, you know, why, why did I get a mother like this? Why, right. why didn't you keep me in Mexico? Why didn't I stay with my grandmother? So there was a lot of questions in my head and there was no answers and no one to ask. And while we were in therapy um, and we had group therapy and we had individual therapy, unfortunately, we were also drugged up and, you know, oh, my we gosh, were, we were drugged up, not like in that sense, but that we were given like antidepressant pills and we were given all kinds of medication that, you know, for example, I, it made me retain a lot of water and I gained so much weight. I was like a little twig. I was 90 pounds. And by the time I was like about to leave there, I was like 150 pounds, something crazy. Oh, like, wow. and, um, and being a petite little, you know, four eleven girl, you know, it, it, it really brought my esteem down. And, right. you know, I just, these medications I was given, I, I didn't, I didn't need them, but I didn't know better. And I thought they were helping me, but they were actually doing a lot of harm. Could I ask you that under what circumstances were you being medicated? Like, was there a proper evaluation of every, of anything, or was it just like, 
oh, they're in a foster system. They must have anxiety or depression as a generic thing. And you're we're given medication for that. We're talking, this is, this is um, more than 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and from what I recall, you know, a- anything you said can be held against you. So oh, wow. if you said you were depressed, you would get antidepressants. If you said you wanted to kill yourself, you know, you would get a different type of drug. Um, So anything you said during therapy um, made a huge of a difference. And I didn't know any better. I had no guidance. Um, My aunt eventually used to go visit me and she told me to stop taking them. uh, Because she saw how much I gain, you know, retain water and how unhealthy I was and how depressed I was. And I was not a depressed child. Um, so she actually advised me to not take it. The thing was that every time you took medicine, they would make you lift your tongue up, right. To make sure you swallowed it. So Um, it it was very difficult. Um, and, and subhanAllah, you know, I've never really spoken about this. And as I'm reflecting about it, it's like the things you go through that you really just mm -hmm. kind of suppress and don't think about, but yeah, it, it was a very hard time. Um, because I was trying to do what my only family member advised me to do, which seemed right. the right thing to do. And sure enough, as soon as I stopped drinking or, or like, you know, taking these medications, I started feeling better and I started uh, doing better. Could I ask you, was there repercussion for not taking the medicine? Uh, yes, there was repercussions and most likely you would go to a mental hospital. Oh, yeah. So the time I attempted, yeah, the time I attempted to commit suicide, um, you know, they, they were very blunt and they were like, you know, if you do this again, you know, they pump up your stomach with charcoal and what have you. And if you do this again, you know, you're going to end up here forever. Uh, and I will never forget, you know, you're going to end up in Camarillo hospital, which was the mental hospital that no one came out of. Um, so it was, um, yeah, it was like a horror story, <laughs> a horror movie now that I think about it. It, um, it really is, Sister Naila. Like, here's the thing. You see this stuff on TV and you're like, but this can't be real. But I guess, like, truth is stranger than a lot of fiction that we see. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. It's 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 real. Um, I lasted there, like I said, about a year and a half. And then once I was stabled, mm-hmm. um, I was moved from my social, from this group home into a foster home mm-hmm. by my social worker. And the end goal was to reunify us as a family. Mm-hmm. So because it was a two hour drive, my mother's excuse was it was too far. Mm-hmm. So my foster home was only about 15, 20 minutes away from my mother mm-hmm. at the time. Um, I clicked very well with my foster mother. She was a much older lady, very, very, um, very, very stern, very firm. Uh, she was German. And oh. um, yeah, she played no games. She cooked really good. <laughs> uh, yeah, she 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 had dinner at seven. And if you weren't there, you weren't eating. Mm. Um, she did our laundry. She was a very good caretaker, but mm. no love. There was no oh, love. I see. So there was no emotion. 
everything else was done for us our laundry our food we were well taken care of if we needed anything we were you know the doctor actually came to our house the therapist came to our house so because she was much older she didn't drive um so everything was in our home Mm. um and um i knew she cared about me because Uh, when I came in, she had other teenager girls and she had pretty much was fed up. Um, and since I didn't come from drugs or I didn't have gang related problems or any right. of that, she decided to keep me only. Mm. And she took in a family of three, two mm. little brothers and a sister. Mm-hmm. And so it was the four of us. And mm. that was it. Like, um, and she said, you know, you can stay because you're, you're a healthy individual in the sense of, I don't have to worry that you're going to be bringing drugs into the house or, mm. or you're going to sneak out because you got to go meet up with your gang or right. that you're running away. So, um, I was with her from, I think from, uh, almost 14 around there, 13 ish, 14 ish. I grew out of the system in her home. So I I didn't leave until 19 from her home. And I remember when I turned 18, I was so scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. Now what happens? I go on the street. What do I do? Uh, And I even contemplated to get married um, Mm. just because I didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, But she actually said, you don't have to stay here. Even if they don't pay me for you, this is your house. So she was very kind, Mm. but she was not loving at all. We never got a hug. We never got a kiss. We never, there was no, there was no affection. Her, her love language was food. Her love language was, you know, making sure that we had clean clothes. That was her love. Right. But, but still, I mean, that's the thing. It has to be so hard especially when we when we've heard how you've transitioned from a very little child you were taken away from the loving home that you knew you had to be in a very abusive situation and then taking out of that and then going through all the things that you did before you ended up in a semi-stable situation i can only imagine the the real desire to want that affection, that stability, that 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 warmth, that that is like the right of every child. Um, so you were there. You were with your foster mother. You stayed with her. How long did you stay with her? And how did you then? If I had, I mean, this is probably like the the worst wording, but how did you end up being independent of her? Um, and sort of be able to give yourself what you needed to be healthy? So um, I was there for about five, close to six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was always right company. So mm-hmm. um, I had good friends. I had specifically a really good friend who's my friend still today. So we've been friends 32 years. Oh, wow. Um, and anytime I go to California, I make sure that I stop by mm-hmm. and, and meet with her. I normally spend a night at her house. And so I, she was a very healthy individual. And if she ever listens to this, she's going to kill me. But she thought she was my grandmother. I never told her I was in a foster home. I was embarrassed. Oh. So nobody ever knew I was in a foster home. Mm-hmm. I used to always tell everyone that was my grandmother. Um, 
and because we called her grandma, mm -hmm. then it was it was believable. Right. Uh, but um, grandma, my foster mom, always uh, liked her, right. um, liked my friend, and allowed me to hang out with her family. So I got the emotional portion from mm. my best friend's family. So uh -huh. I used to call her dad, dad, and I, that was the only home I was able to spend the night, mm -hmm. uh, once in a blue moon on Saturday and wake up there and he would make breakfast for us. And her stepmom was very kind. Mm -hmm. So I kind of lived that, that family kind of twist, um, with my best friend. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, that's how I was able to hold up and, and make sure I wasn't bitter. Right. Um, I guess the way I detached, it's a long, long story how I ended up detaching from my foster mother. Mm -hmm. um, the only way out for me was either I get married or I get married. Oh. Where else am I going to go? So right. I had met a gentleman and I was going to get married mm -hmm. at 19. But um I ended up not getting married because I found my father, which I had never met. Oh. And, um, and then he offered me, come and live with me. Don't do this. Don't make mm -hmm. this mistake. You're too young. You need to go to college. You need to study. I know mm -hmm. I haven't been in your life. So I guess the right time, the right place, the right person. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, he helped me out through college for the mm -hmm. first couple of years. And then him and I never clicked because we never had a relationship. So mm -hmm. it was a cordial relationship, but it wasn't a loving relationship. And he was looking for a daughter and that daughter wasn't me. Um, mm -hmm. And he was not patient with that. So we ended up breaking. It was you, Nahela. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be clear on that. It was you. But the fact is, if you're just going to enter into somebody's life at 19, I mean you do have to take responsibility for the fact that it's not what you're going to expect. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't click, we went on our own ways and I've never seen him ever since we mm. never kept in touch. Um, and then I met my first husband. Mm. Uh, then I met my first husband who was much older than me, helped me get through college we got married and that's how the journey began um right. that lasted about seven years and then uh you know it didn't work out and i ended up moving to new york where i eventually or, or i was introduced to islam mm. uh moving to new york three months prior right. to 9 11. so that's how that detachment happened in a short version i mean a right. lot of things happen um but in a nutshell, that's how I ended up leaving uh, the foster care system. Right. Um, if we had to go back on it, um, I think one of the things I would ask is, did your mother ever attempt to rectify any of what had happened to you under her care? And second of all, when you look back at the foster care system and this is by no means to, to say that it's not an important system, especially for children who, like you, are in such terrible situation. But the fact is, there's a lot of things that went wrong for you within that system. What would you 
wish for children who are still within that system that things would be better for them so to your first question my mother and i have had a very strange um relationship mm-hmm. up until my grandmother passed away four years ago mm-hmm. uh we would sometimes bump into each other in mexico and there was no relationship everything was still right. broken i did try to mend things several times it just, she's not ready, or perhaps it's just not going to happen. Only God knows if that is ever going to happen. We did try a reunification when I was 15, because the court sent me back home 16. Mm. And it it only went sour when she tried to hit me. And I called my foster mom and I said, okay, I'm about to run away back to you. Mm. And so she's like, yes, get on a cab and come and I'll pay the cab when you get here. And we'll call your Mm. social worker. And I never went back. Mm-hmm. So there was an attempt of reunification when I was a teenager. It didn't work out. And then as an adult, we tried, um, we've tried several times, or I don't know if we, I've tried, mm-hmm. um, but it's just not there. Um, right. And so I, I leave it in God's hands. I pray mm-hmm. for her every day. I ask God to soften her heart and to heal mm-hmm. her heart, whatever she's going through and went through that I perhaps don't know of, right. uh, because people don't react to to the way they, they react because of nothing. Obviously, she right. she had trauma that perhaps I don't know about. And so right. I always pray for her healing. Right. Um, if there's anything to forgive her, I've have forgotten, forgiven her a long time ago, mm-hmm. and I wish her only only the best. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the foster care system, yes, it's all broken all over the place. The fact that, you know, um, they, it seemed correct at the time because you don't know better. But mm-hmm. now that I'm an adult and now that I see from the outwards, yes, this place is obviously necessary because if I didn't have that place, I don't know where I would be or if I would be here today. Right. Right. So it's definitely a facility and an institution and a system that is needed. But it is very important for, you know, um, I I, I wanted to mention the word communication, Mm. that we stay in communication with at least one family member. I was blessed that I had an aunt, but it was very minimum. Our, right. our connection during my during my time in the in the group home mm-hmm. um, and very little when I was in the foster home. But, um, you know, if you have other family members, somebody mm-hmm. has to always try to stay connected to that child and make sure that you don't lose them completely because in the system you can get lost. I mean, if right. you don't have good people in your life or if you don't hang out with the right crowd, you definitely will go south and it will go bad really, really quick. I saw it. Um, You know, I remember when I was at McLaren Hall, even though I was there one month, I saw things I never saw ever, ever in my life. You know, Mm -hmm. people would sneak in drugs. And I remember uh, there was a girl that was given PCP and a gum and, Mm. and then she was like a zombie. And I remember I was being offered that and I said, no, thank you. And I literally ran to the guard, to the, to the caregiver. Um, And I was scared for my life. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I was never in that environment. So it was very difficult. I didn't have those skills to, to, to so I always looked for people that uh, can help. Mm. Um, And so what I would say is if, you know, if you do have a family member, a child that does go into the care system, 
it's important to to have an ally, whether it's inside or outside, that will advocate for your rights and your needs. Right. Um, and that's something I didn't have uh, mm-hmm. when I was, you know, in in McLaren Hall or when I was in the in the in the which one call it, in the group home. I had a social worker that was supposed to be advocating for me, but it almost seemed as if she was looting for me instead of rooting for me. Mm. Um, and so it was very detrimental because I didn't want to call her for any complaints or needs. So I was all alone drowning and right. just had to stuck it up. Right. right. So um, it's important to, to, to see these, um, these workers as well, these social workers, these uh, psychologists, psychiatrists. I mean, the way I see it now, everything is a dollar, right? Right. Everything is a dollar. Well, I, I believe that for sure. Um, the other question I had, I would ask that we understand that the foster care system is needed. It's broken. What can we do about it? Because again, it's not about dismantling or destroying or anything of that sort. But the fact is, if there's something that us as individuals, my listeners, anybody who is aware of the fact, what can they do to make this better for the children who need it the most? So one of the things that I can say is um, there's so many opportunities out there. Hmm. Um, if you have the heart, first and foremost, Mm-hmm. I would say open your heart and your house. So become right. a foster parent. You know, right. if you're listening to this and you can actually do good by some children or you don't mm-hmm. have children of your own or your children are grown or what have you right. and you want to save a life or you want to help mm-hmm. a life, then I would definitely say to open your home. It's so important for us to get more involved. Right. Um, I did have a volunteer mentor in the mm-hmm. group home Um, At the time, I used to love sewing. So Mm -hmm. we used to make quilts. um, And I like cats. So she used to come. I remember Audrey. She used to come uh, every other Saturday. And we used to sew. And then we gradually uh, went to where we can go out and have lunch. She would Mm -hmm. have like an hour as a volunteer. She was cleared, obviously. And, you know, fingerprints and the whole nine yards. Um, so get involved, whether it's opening your home, number one, or volunteering. There's there's plenty opportunities out there. If you have a skill, if you have a passion, if you have uh, something to teach or, you know, um, reach out to your local uh, foster care, uh, you know, uh, institute. Um, there's so many kids out there that don't have parents, perhaps have right. lost their parents, are all alone in this country, or they're, you know, they're immigrants and mm. their kids didn't come, or they were taken away at the border. I mean, there's so many situations today, right? So right. Um, there's definitely kids out there that need us. And I would say to uh, reach out and volunteer or become a foster parent yourself. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm so grateful to you, Nahela. Because I think from your perspective, even though I'd done the episode before, but that was through an organization that advocates for children in the foster care system. You don't really understand the kind of situations that an actual foster child has to go through until you talk to one. And I'm hoping that through this conversation, 
that it can drive home the point of how much it is needed to have a better foster care system, A, and B, more people who are willing to open their hearts and home to children in foster care. It is um, like, like for us in Islam, we are asked to, we are not asked, but we are commanded to take care of the orphans. This is one of those things. These children may not be technically orphans in a sense, but they need they need people in their lives who really truly care for their well-being. So they can you were fortunate, Nahela, that you had good people in your lives. There's no doubt about it. And I'm so grateful to God that you had those people. But not everybody is that for not every child is that fortunate as you had had witnessed yourself and spoken of that so many of these children come such some some of the the worst situations that we can even imagine or, or not imagine these children need us and we need to be there for them thank you so much nahela for 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 bringing to light all of these things i'm so grateful no thank you for the opportunity and i really hope that it brings light to those that are perhaps going through some dark moments or if you did go through the foster care system and you feel a bit broken, I would highly encourage to go get help. There is hope at the end of the tunnel. There is light at the end of the tunnel. You're here and you're here with a purpose and for a purpose. And perhaps it's sharing your story that will inspire someone. So always own your story. Uh, it's taking years for me to... Um, not only own my story, but be grateful for it. Like you said, I could have not been here if it right. wasn't for so many angels that God sent my way mm -hmm. on so many levels. So, um, you know, we all have a purpose in life. And so once we find that purpose, you know, we can actually uh, live a happier um, life and uh, be appreciative of the many mm -hmm. blessings that are bestowed on us on an everyday uh, bases. So I just want to thank you. I, I, it's rare when I accept these invitations. I think I've only done a couple, but um, it, it's, it's important. And I know this is going to be an entire chapter in my book one day mm. um, because obviously there's details that perhaps I've never uh, touched on and are important, right. In the healing of whoever may be reading. And that's the essence of it uh, that we need to heal. And we have to understand that things happen for a reason um there's always a lesson behind what things why things happen perhaps we don't understand them at the moment but today i can sit here and and be very grateful for every single experience i went through uh because i can actually either relate talk or help um, right. my fellow human beings right and again i am so grateful to you nahela i mean i don't know y'all don't understand but how busy this woman is like, she, I, I am so grateful that you took out the time. And again, my the only purpose for me bringing you here is that for anybody who's listening, who's been through the foster care system, that they they do see hope in you, that there is light at the end of whatever dark tunnel that they may be going through. But it is also our responsibility, a communal responsibility to help these children, these individuals who are in the system, because that's it. The children are our future. And if we can't take care of them, we can't help them. We can't reach out to them. 
then we're failing them. And I don't want that. And I know you don't want that, which is why I, I thank you so much for being here with us. And to everybody who's listened in and watched it, watched us, I hope that as Nahela said, that you could open your heart and your home to somebody who's in the foster care system. So y'all take care of yourself and may peace be on you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.